0: You being the guy that's causing those problems, maybe you should do some research. Did did that just happen one day for you?
1: Imagine what happens if people go to Facebook, you know, 72, 96 hours. Good grief
0: alive. Hacker discussion today, but that's as as good as advice as any. It's a great snippet. Welcome, everybody. This is Tuesday Morning Grind, episode number 54. Today, we have Chris Roberts with us. Chris is a security advisor, hacker, and security researcher. Chris, thanks so much for being
1: here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Much appreciated.
0: Chris, I, I know you from seeing your talks on YouTube, seeing you on other podcasts, some social media stuff. But um, for those who don't know you, how, how did you get into security? What do you do? Give us the background. Oh gosh, uh, it goes back way, <laughs> way
1: more years. This is normally grey when it's not coloured. Let's face <laughs> it. So we're going back. I mean, I was ten, eleven years old. I started messing around at the time. It was uh, I, had, I spent almost a year at boarding school. I didn't last a full year at boarding school. <laughs> and one of the other kids had a, a Sinclair ZX ZX80, eighty ZX eighty eighty one, and so that was like that was the first like first foray into these things because I mean up until that point it was like the typewriter and the little key and you press go and it goes and off you go. And the zx One was like holy shit 4K in memory. <laughs> like a whole 4K that was it. Operating system, command line and off you go. So that for a while then boarding school I didn't agree so I lost my uh, ability to get to that stuff and then really it was at school, at school and came back to the UK and went to school there. And I uh, started into the gaming scene, like just, you know, e early, early, like PC games and the Atari games, and I didn't like losing at them. And so I started figuring out basically what the hell makes a thing run. And it was taking that mentality of, you know, years beforehand, my poor mother comes home and finds me with like fucking toaster and vacuum cleaner and pieces like screwdrivers and shit in my hand, going, hey, I figured out what made it work. And it's that same mentality, taking the computer systems to pieces. And that's what made him run. And then that got into like CDC, that got into the BBS sports and everything else. And, you know, off it went from there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So at certain point, you figured out, um, you know, there's a you can make a career out of this. So um, how, since you've been in this industry since I would say like the early days, like the early – before people were doing this professionally, you know, people were just tinkering yeah. and figuring it out. Yeah. How, how have you seen it change over time? Like what are some of the big changes? I
1: think the biggest and probably the one that I think a lot of us were afraid of is it went, it, you know, you think about the hacker mentality, the ability to tinker, the tinkering mentality, the hacker mentality, whatever you want to look at it. It was always to find out what it was. Why did it work? How did it work? What made it work? You look at the genesis of some of the first like Trojan viruses that we used to write, I mean, it was just for shits and giggles. I remember writing that one of the spinning wheel ones where you know your computer screen would all of a sudden go like this into a spinning machine, your hard drive span up, and then it gave everything back. It was like a washing machine, it was just special to and giggles. And it went from having fun and exploring and ultimately protecting into how do we mint millionaires and billionaires. And I think that has been fundamentally the biggest shake-up. Is there so many of us have watched so many in the industry, you know, make gazillions at the expense of actually protecting effectively.
0: Yeah, I I know one of the things that stands out to me is like, you think about the early days and it was like freaking, it was uh, messing with communication systems, it was maybe doing stuff for fun, you know, like you said, spinning someone's game. And then all of a sudden, all these private companies, like all the digitization everybody's aware of, you know, everybody's data, everybody's every movement because of these phones here are somewhere. Yeah. So the stakes are so much higher. So is that for someone who knows as much as you do, does, does that, are you comforted by the fact that um, we're making good advances when it comes to security and technology? Or, or are you concerned yeah. about like how high the stakes are and our lack of security? I think I'm
1: concerned, uh, the stakes are crazy high, exactly to your point. I mean, there is so much data out there now about everything. I mean, there always used to be, but it was in, it was, it was written data. It was in a filing cabinet, you know, it was stuck in somebody's drawer or somebody's back room. And that was, you know, and only the people in the building, only the people who get access to it could get access to it. <coughs> the problem is these days, all of your data is available anywhere almost all of the time. And so if I wanted to come after you, I had to go to the city hall or the city building to request a copy of the birth certificate. I had to go to where you work to get all your files and everything else. Now I can be sitting entirely across the other side of the planet. I don't even have to access those systems. I can pay a service to get all the geospatial, anything about you that I obviously possibly want. And I can compete for the service and spend $6 and just do the same damn thing. I mean, it's... In one way, it's wonderful because, I mean, it gives us the ability to find people who maybe don't want to be found. But on the other hand, it absolutely is stripped away any vestiges of what we would consider privacy.
0: Do you think you live your life differently? Like knowing what you know about security and privacy in terms of how you use technology or social media or anything like that?
1: Yeah, I think I do. I
0: no two ways about it. I mean, I, you know,
1: I, I always joke I have a lot of Facebook accounts, but none of them are in my name. You know, my Twitter account, I'm very well aware of what's on it. Same thing with um yeah. you know my LinkedIn. My LinkedIn account is probably the, the most infamous on that side of it. So I'm very careful. I put stuff on there fully aware of what could be could be used against me. My home network is probably a perfect example. You know, we have defensive systems watching it, we have you know gateways watching it, we have VLANs and separations and segmentations. I got deception running in the house for crying out loud. So and I also have tech in the house. I mean you know the alarm systems on a mesh network. I've got wireless, and you know a wireless, and all sorts of other camera systems. I've got all sorts of other things. But I go into it with my eyes open. I go into it asking the questions and knowing what the worst case scenario could be. Whereas unfortunately, most people just go straight after the signing new objects and don't think twice about it.
0: Do you think if the average person, like, kind of knew what you knew, they they would take the same kind of measures, or do you think that you're you do extra because of the line of work you're in? You're just a, bigger target. Oh, yeah. a little from
1: column A and a little from column B. Yeah, you know, perfect example. I mean, let's face it. I would be a, I'd be a fun target for a lot of people. Um, Not just because of my, because of who I am and what I've done, but also because I sit on the dot middle and dot gov side of the world as well. I, you know, I've got one foot in both camps, one foot in each camp, I should say. And so, to that point, you know, I make it an interesting and fun target for a bunch of different reasons. But I think I would hope. What I would hope on the scene, what I what I want, what I really want out of society, is for them to walk into a big box store and go, Hey, I like the camera. But do me a favor, and tell me about it, please. Tell me where was it made? Um, hey, just do me a favor, tell me what are the basics, what is the simple stuff? Um, where does my data go? How is that looking after me more effectively?
0: Yeah, for sure. I think I I have conversations like I have I have two kids And Mm I always think about, like, their digital footprint even versus mine because, you know, they already want a phone. My my daughter's young, already wants a phone, wants a tablet, wants to play little games and everything. She wants to post pictures on social media, and she doesn't even have social media yet. She just sees others doing it. But, like, that that kind of curated life, like, what kind of individual is that going to create versus someone, you know, who who wasn't born and bred in this digital world? I think it's
1: it's still – I mean, the same thing I got my – Morgan turned 18 a couple of months ago, and I finally put a picture of her and I together on the internet. I have not done it for a long time. We finally did, it, and I did it with her consent. Um, but up to that point, there's been very few, if any, pictures of her around on the internet. She's mm-hmm. appeared on a couple of podcasts and stuff, wandered into the background. But there's been very little info, and that's because she and I have talked. She's had a phone since she was 10, 11, maybe 12, something like that. Um, but it's, but it's, you know, part of it is cause, you know, her parents live in two completely separate directions, let's face it. But part of it has been, I, I talk with her, I work with her. She knows what I do for a living. So she knows if I really want to find shit out, I'm going to find it out. But it was a conversation because at some point in time, and you'll find the same thing with your kids, at some point in time, we can't be there to be the barrier. All we yep. can do is help them understand the questions to ask before they post a picture on Snapchat of the half you know, the half naked picture to send to the boyfriend of the moment. You know, explain the consequences of those actions five years from now. Yep. Explain what data where and all this stuff. And, and that's all you can ever really do is go, look, I'm gonna I'm gonna help you understand the logic, the reasons, mm-hmm. the why some questions. I'm gonna trust you until I can't. And at that point in time, I'll come down like a hammer, but I will give you the opportunity to fail
0: yeah, that's great. I didn't expect to get uh parent great parenting advice in our ha- hacker discussion today, but that's as good as good as advice as any. It's a great snippet. Um, you know, and we're talking about social media. I was thinking about I was talking to my wife uh over the weekend actually because she wasn't caught up on Meta and everything that uh Facebook's said, doing, yeah. and uh we were talking about like how uh. Like our little addictions, you know, I was like, yeah, I kind of feel addicted to this thing. Like, you know, I check it. If it's in my pocket, I'll check it you know, every five minutes yeah. and LinkedIn, check it every five minutes. But can you imagine if you like worked in meta, if you yeah. had friends in meta, plus you had yeah. COVID to it where people are kind of working remotely anyway, yeah. like, like how addicting that could be, but also like how insecure that could be. The amount of data gathering and, and all the unknowns that comes with living in a virtual space, that'll be pretty incredible.
1: It's gonna be. It's going to be really interesting because I mean, again, you look at the next generation. You go back to my daughter. The same thing. She wants. Uh, she. I mean, pick a pick a retailer. She wants the retailer to make her aware of special offers of maybe clothing of new fashions coming out. She wants that. But she draws the line of the fact that, well, the clothing companies realize that she's no longer a size six, maybe she's a size A. So the clothing company's selling the information to the healthcare company who then circles around and goes, Hey, we know this your clothing's increased in size. Do we need to have a conversation about your insurance coverage or, hey, here's a Weight Watchers advert? That's where she's like, Oh hell no. Yeah. So it's it's interesting to see where we used to draw the line versus where they're drawing the line. They have no problem with certain things coming in. It's something we need do I? I love the fact I can go to Amazon and go, Hey, I ordered something last month and I need another great. Let me just go back through my history. Let me go back through the tracking and the profile that they've done on me for my convenience. But the moment those assholes try selling me something that, you know, is, Hey, we noticed you buying this. Maybe you need old age meds. Pew. Yeah. That's you cross the line, you know, so there's definitely that fine balance.
0: Yeah, that's one thing I'm kind of optimistic about is that um, I wonder if like the next generation, you know, take your daughter and my my daughter, the next couple generations, if they'll be like um, a new type of savvy. So maybe they'll just have like a better eye for digital risk because like you, if yeah. you ask someone right now, it's like they're not thinking about the third or fourth order effects of, uh, you know, giving someone my uh, clothing size, which could impact my insurance. Whereas I feel like... If you talk to someone below 20 right now, they're very in tune often yeah. with those types of uh, like consequences and negative risks. So so maybe it'll fix itself or at least do a little correction just because of the education.
1: I hope so. I, and to your point, I think I hope so. one of the challenges is, you know, our generation came into it. So we kind of understood there's the next generation that's like, say, under us, that's, that's come after us that's in it, but doesn't understand the consequences. And I think you're right. You know, the teenagers growing up now are suddenly going, hey, I still want some control of my life and you've taken too much from me. Now, whether we can put that cat in the back, in the back, mm, I don't really think so. But I hope we can do something about it. And to your point, as we end up with a meta, you know, some of the crazy stuff I'm working on with the cognitive stuff and basically digitizing myself, that takes an entirely different direction on it. Because now, you know, I'm taking me... I'm putting it in a digital system. And so now I've just literally handed literally my life to a set of microchips.
0: Yeah. Is that is that something you're researching right now? Is that what I heard you say?
1: Yeah, doing some pretty cool stuff on that. I was uh, doing it for some interesting folks that, that want to use it for uh, some fun applications.
0: Yeah, that's that's one of the things that I've, uh, I guess, in listening to podcasts you've done and stuff like that is how much research you do seems Oof. like you you're uh constantly doing different types of research really cool research how how, how do you come up with ideas like to to do research how, let me just even more broadly how do you do research <laughs> because because <laughs> there's like so much to it there's the picking an idea doing good research publishing research yeah. letting people know making it applicable applicable and practical so how do you approach that uh,
1: to me to me personally it's whatever it's somewhat guided by whatever I 'm finding of interest, but I 'm also looking where the future's going. So you look at the future of communication, you look at the future of technology, the future of medicine, the future of all these other things. and you know, where are we going? You know, perfect example, let's take space travel. Let's just, let's, just, let's just go with the one. you know you've got people chasing after, putting you know humans on the moon, humans on Jupiter, and then Jupiter dying the humans on Mars, and kicking us off out you know, past past what we consider our part of the universe. You're like, well hang on, this human body is pretty freaking fragile. It doesn't matter what you do to it. It's a fragile thing. Well how do we how do how can we take the body out of the equation? Well we can do that. It's gonna take some work, but we're working on that one. Then you turn around and go, well hang on. <coughs> this whole idea of actually space travel is horrendously wasteful. For every one kilogram you want to shoot into space, you're using 0.9 of a kilogram of fuel. So it's ridiculously wasteful. And you're like, okay, well, then what do we do? Well, how do we, how do we take something down to the atomic level? And when you get to the atomic level, you see a lot of shit acts differently, which is now you start, to get to quantum, you start looking at entanglement and you start looking at separation of particles and, and spatial movements, all sorts of crazy things. Like, well, hang on. Can we take this, squash it down, kick it off there, and and you all of a sudden you're like wow there's some cool stuff and how do we build our tech into this? So now you've got like ten different research projects and all sorts of weird shit and you slumber left the seat of so the chest and now you start reading up on it. Now you start looking at it. You start going, well, hang on. Nanotechnology was a perfect example. I'm like, okay, I want to mess around with nanotechnology. Well, how do you buy you know gold carbon molecular particles? Well, you can actually buy the damn things. Like, okay, well, how do I buy them? How do I get the microscope? How do I, how do I encode them? So you start looking like cello and code and all sorts of other like languages. And all of a sudden, you know, like six months later, you're encoding particles that you can now basically inject into a human body to make them do certain things. And so there's, it's, it's literally as simple as going, where are we going? Where is technology going? Where is the humanity going? Another example, let's look at problems that we have in this world. Let's—I mean, we all—the the, the count stuff with ecological problems. So let's look at the amount of plastics and shit we use. Let's look at energy and how much energy we use. So, chasing those rabbit holes down and going, "How could I make a difference there? What could I do?" That really, for me, is the research world. That to me is—I like that stuff. I still mess around with just breaking shit. We were taking um, light bulbs. So again, go back to the great history. My history with the original, the good old standard incandescent light bulbs is we used to be able to shine a laser at the damn things and listen in on whatever was being said in the room. Really cool stuff. You, could do. But you can't do this with these new stupid bloody, like uh, the smart light bulbs, yeah. you can't do that. So you're like, well, what can I do? And then you start buying light bulbs, down at Best Buy, down at Lowe's, down at Home Depot and buy light bulbs. You start taking them from them into pieces. And you've got these light bulbs in pieces all over the desk, and you suddenly realize there's commonalities. Then you're like, well, all right, let's look at the pin ins, let's look at the pin outs, let's look at the code, let's look at the stuff, and everything else that you've learned at you know, the DEF CON hardware hacking villages. <clears throat> and all of a sudden, you're like, hang on, I can turn audio on if I just do this. And now you can listen in on, you know, IoT light bulbs wherever you want to be. So just doing stupid shit like that.
0: Yeah, as I'm hearing you speak, like you were talking about earlier space travel, and then you talked about like the Schrodinger's cat phenomena. I heard some quantum computing stuff in there. Uh, So uh, I find whenever I uh, partake in any of these kind of thought exercises, you start to notice how apparently very uh, separated topics are entangled uh, in interesting ways, you know. So as a researcher which I am not. How do you how do you start? Do you typically begin with a problem like hey this is something I want to solve or is it do you think because you've done like years and years of research that you're subconsciously picking up on all of these patterns and like good ideas come to you?
1: I think that probably the latter these days and it's also it's that tinker hacker mindset still if thankfully you know, touch word it's still there, it's that first knowledge mm-hmm. how does something work? Why does something work? What makes it work? Could I do it differently could i could I figure something out you know it's that I think is a huge part of it it's it's that first for understanding of oh, well, hang on, if it's doing that, what could I do differently? How could I do it differently? you know it's no different than makes a good a good defensive person. If you look at anybody on the, you know, on the blue team, mm-hmm. they're, they're, they're doing nothing more than looking at that haystack, going, how do I start subdividing that haystack to find the freaking needle that I need? Same with the red team up. Here's my target. How do I most effectively utilize my time to get to those attack vectors that I want to find out?
0: It's no different. How many projects do you think you're working on at any given time? Are you kind of dedicated effort on one research topic or are you working on like two dozen and it kind of just comes together? <laughs> quite a few. Um,
1: yeah, quite a few. I actually have a list. Hang on. I have a list and the list is
0: extensive. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 15. 15 research projects. And are they... Yeah. Do you, would you add new if something came in your head now? Or are you kind of dedicated to oh, yeah. this 15? <laughs> no,
1: totally. Yeah, I, uh, I'm a complete freaking squirrel. I'll find time to do it. God knows when it will be. Because, I mean, that's I break my day up mostly organized. When I'm not sick, I break my day up pretty effectively. And so my research time is typically when everybody's gone to bed and the world will settle down a little bit from like 9, 10 o'clock at night until, you know, two three four o'clock in the morning. And that's typically a fairly dedicated... Sometimes I've got calls with like, you know, Israel or Japan or various other places. But more often than not, that time of night is, is pretty dedicated research
0: time. So once you... So you, you choose... Our projects come to you. That's probably a better way to say it. And you have a number going
1: that's on. that i to do. There's a few, like, um, some of the communication stuff I'm asked to do. There's some interesting stuff we're doing with, with uh, biomechanics and touch sets. So... Ability literally to lay hands on technology and take data off of it, so it's all to do with bioengineering and uh, storage of data and all that kind of stupid shit. So, yeah, that's been inbound. They've been asked to do some of that. It's probably about half the project. Oh, shit, we got asked on one today. Um, and that's a that's an inbound, so probably about 50% inbound, 50% squirrel moments, middle of the night stuff.
0: Is this just because you've earned a, a, a reputation in the industry as a, as a team or a person that can? be creative when it comes to hard problems. Is that I where they so. come yeah. up? Yes. Yeah.
1: yeah, that's probably a big part of it. You know, it's exactly to that point. It's I also have, you know, it's it's to your point, it's the reputation. You know, for good or for bad, I'm, I'm the one that's you know, I'm I am the one that stood up and said, Hey, I, I couldn't buy a Patriot missile because you wouldn't let me use an Amex to do that. So I figured out how to take one over. Is that okay?
0: <laughs> um, <laughs> yep.
1: You know, shit like that. When you do stuff like that, they tend to like go, huh, okay. One, you're a pain in the ass. Secondly, don't you dare tell everybody else how to do it. And thirdly, we know how to call when we need stupid shit done.
0: Yes. Um, At what point in your career did you become – did you switch from being a nuisance to being a researcher? And I mean that in the most uh, (laughs) complimentary way because I imagine when you're researching hard shit, you know, people are just – Like you said, I can take over a Patriot missile. And they're like, well, instead of uh, you being the guy that's causing those problems, maybe you should do some research. Did did that just happen one day for you? Um, Oh, that's an interesting one.
1: Yeah. You know, that's tough because I'm still, I mean, shit, I mean, you go back in my history. I mean, I was first officially in the when my father had me arrested. I was, you know, 14, 15 years old. And at that point, all they did was just take away all the computers because they didn't know what the hell to do with me. Um, I got yelled at when I came out of uh, active service. Um, and then it went from being a nuisance to you got options. You either continue to be a nuisance, at which point we're going to shut you down or you can come hang out with us. But even hanging out with us, I mean, even since I got over to this country, I've still managed to to, to annoy their living snot out of the feds on a regular basis, but thankfully I've got cover fire from some other folks. But um I think I still try to I try to tread. I still want to be a nuisance to some degree because if you're a nice researcher, sometimes you to get shut down with NDAs, people don't necessarily want to listen. They, you know, they think there's a cry wolf going on or whatever else. But if you stand up and go, all right, assholes, you're not listening to me. I'm just going to drop it right here exactly what can be done with trains. Perfect example. Here's how to derail a train wherever you feel like doing it. Here's how to turn the ship over. At that point, they're like, oh, bastard, you're a pain in the ass, but we actually have to do something about it, which is all we really want. I I don't want people dying because we are – we just don't care to fix the problems.
0: That's, and there's something special about uh, – we at RISC 360, we call it taking the message to Garcia. And there's like something special about the people who ask for forgiveness rather than permission. But once they get there, you, you just can't deny it. You're like, well, yeah. you did it. I probably would have put bureaucracy in place to prevent you from doing that. But now I have to take some action. So there's like a special place for that, I think. where do you think the line is like one of the things i think about when i think about uh security research is like there's a special art when it comes to disclosure and like when you're dealing with life and death like it sounds like you are in some of those cases like you have to responsibly disclose but if but if people won't do if they won't take action after you yeah. responsibly disclo- disclose that's kind of i could see i could see the line of logic where maybe you have to escalate from there to get get attention but how do you, where do you come down when it comes to disclosure of like stuff that you find in research? It's tough. It's
1: stupid tough for a bunch of reasons. I mean, you hit a couple of them definitely. Um, I will never sit down outside of a closed door inside of a skiff and explain exactly how to take a Patriot, a ship, a sub or any of that kind of stuff. I will not do that. Um, I will insinuate and I will talk about how to do it. But behind closed doors is where the demo and the stuff happens. That's just how it is. Um And hopefully by talking to press and meeting other people, awareness comes out like, oh, this shit can happen. You go do your own research and figure out if you can do it, good luck, I hope you can. And hopefully by the time you figure that out, we we'll fix the stupid things. Now, the flip on that one is an interesting one. When you start looking at exploits. Mm-hmm. So this is where I get from really, really tough because, perfect example, you know, you take a look at these phones, you know, iPhones. If I find an exploit on this iPhone, several things can happen. One, I can go to Apple and say, hey, I can do stupid shit on your iPhone. And they go, hopefully, more often than not, decent responsible, but they go, thank you for telling us. Validate, 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 trust, pay you money, great, fix it. Or I can go on the dark side of the market and go, hey, I found an exploit and make 10x, 100x that amount of money. Or I can go to an agency and go, hey, you can then use this exploit to keep an eye on folks that want to do harm to others. Yeah. You have to hope that that's what they're going to do with it and they aren't going to use it to spy on people they shouldn't be spying on. But you never know. I can't hand an exploit over and go, I'm sorry, you can only use it to go spy on the bad people because I'm not at liberty to know exactly who every single bad person is out there. And that's where it gets tough because do you hand it out to Apple and fix everybody? Do you hand it to an agency and hope that you are preventing certain people from dying? Or do you make bank and, in my case, pay off a fairly vindictive ex-significant other and then, you know, carry on my merry way? It's uh that is a nasty, that is a
0: nasty dilemma, unfortunately.
1: And ethics plays and morals yep. plays.
0: Mm. Yes. Yeah, it's, it, it's, oh, yeah. And, it, and it's hard. To, it's easy, I think, from where we're sitting in a fairly wealthy nation and a comfortable house to say mm-hmm. that you should be ethical and, and report that. But if you're hungry and you're in a you know India, uh, Western Europe or Eastern, you, uh, you know, um, yeah. a third world country and you find this yeah. stuff, it's extremely attractive to go get a million dollar payday. Instead of responsibly well, disclosing, because you have a hungry family at home, maybe or some some dark you situation, job. you've got
1: the village taken care of. You're the hero of the area. You've saved the economy of the village, and now you've potentially got decent resources to go find another half a dozen. I mean, that's business mm-hmm. at that point. And you know, next next, you know, there's a certain three letter company out of a certain country knocks on your door and goes, "Hey, can we put those tools into our program and we'll cut you in for you know ten percent?"
0: And you get immunity. Uh, yeah. Along the way. <laughs> Ish. Yeah. <laughs> or you're, uh, I'll co- they'll godfather you, you know, I'll come to you yeah, for a favor. Yeah.
1: And I mean, so that's, and it's tough because you're right. I mean, we're sitting here, I'm like, okay, you know, we've got contracts, we've got projects we're working on. And I'm mm-hmm. like sitting there going, yeah, we're in pretty good shape for the next, you know, six months that we know of, like runway or whatever. Yep. So, no, it's a tough one. It's, it's uh, uh, not an easy
0: one. Another phenomenon that uh, I've realized is, There's like an asymmetry between like what it takes to investigate these issues and protect yourself against them versus what it takes to exploit them. So it could be a million dollars. You know, it it costs me nothing to exploit it, to run ransomware, like next to nothing. And and it could be a million dollar payday, but it costs me a million dollars for the what if. And to me, there's just there's such a value asymmetry in what it costs to protect yourself versus what it costs to exploit. I I don't know how economically this is going to work itself out. I it,
1: it's I gave a talk uh up in Wisconsin uh, at a federal event. And um I basically I was I was kinda of blunt and I wasn't very nice about it. Because I turned on and said we have built an entire industry on ticking a box. We literally have built an entire trifecta, we've built the mob. You might not like being called it, we've built the mob. We're a protection racketeering organization now. Because you need to put a tick in the box. Whether you like it or not to do business, you've got to put a tick in the box. Yep. That depends on what you need to do. You need to put lots of ticks in the box. And then we've got special people that will give you those ticks in the boxes and only if they use special software. And it just keeps on going. And when you look at it that way, you're like, this is not good. Unfortunately, we kind of got to tear the house down a fair amount. It should be, you know, every man, woman, beast, child has come up with their own set of freaking frameworks. Everybody loves to come up with their own set of controls and standards. I'm like, no, quit that shit, consolidate the hell out of it, get one simple set of ticks in the boxes. And by the way, explain to the customer, the ticking box does not equal secure. Yes, guys are going to do a lot more ass than that. So we
0: as an industry have got a shit ton of money to do. It is not pretty. Do you think we have to like take down the internet and rebuild it? And what I mean by that is like, I don't know, there's like some new technology, zero trust or maybe blockchain and decentralization. I have no clue what the technology is. But do you think that we can fix the ecosystem as it exists or does it need to be just overhauled over time? I think it's going to have to be overhauled.
1: I think it's going to be I think it's going to have to be piecemeal overhaul, because so much, I mean, if you okay, think about it now, you go back 20 years, 20, 25 years. If we had turned off the internet, it would have sucked, but we would have carried on going. I mean, you do something akin to that now. I, I mean, that's, that's humanity's, it ain't gonna be pretty. You think you had problems when you didn't have toilet paper. Imagine what happens if people aren't going to Facebook for, you know, 72, 96 hours. Good
0: grief alive. Yeah, you're not, you're not buying anything anymore. You're not, you're not oh. transacting. Barter's have been yeah. all gone. I mean, how many, how many people would instantly
1: lose their jobs? So now you've got an economic issue. To your point, you have logistics issues because now I don't know where my stuff is. I have no clue what, to, what ship it's on, where I don't even know how I'm going to get paid for it. So now from an economic impact, from a company impact, from a human impact, from a healthcare impact, I mean, it, it's not pretty. I think honestly what we have to do is say that and go, okay, You know, we've talked about it, the critical infrastructure. What do we need to do to carry on from a societal standpoint? Now, when we figure that out, now let's take a step back and go, how do we make that to be more effective? How do we actually build it with a level of redundancy, with the controls in place? Now let's build on top of that. Look at the financial markets, look at the healthcare market, look at the retail markets, look at, you know, all the other areas that are around that and actually take one model. Not your model and my model because I don't, want to, I don't want to do the same model you're doing because it's got your name on it. I want my model with my name on it. We need to get rid of that shit. The, the dick waving has got to go away. It needs to be one freaking model you and I agree on. Now let us together integrate it, implement it, cooperate, collaborate, and do it properly.
0: Last topic, Chris. Um, we talked earlier in... in we always like to recommend books and resources to folks, especially like thought leaders like yourself that's influenced you. And then you mentioned that you had like a list of 29 books or something like that, that you recommend (laughs) all the time to folks. Yeah. Uh, can you talk about those? Like what are some books or resources that's like really influenced the way that you think and you find a lot of value in? I think so for me,
1: I, especially in this day and age, um, I, I have always been a little gruff and a little rough around the edges, shall we say. Um, However, over the years, I've mellowed to some degree, I've also learned how to more effectively communicate. And some of that I will lay right at the feet of an amazing friend, Catherine Olman. She's uh, up uh, up in Buffalo, the university up in that neck of the woods. And she challenged me years ago. She was like, hey, you're better than this. I'm like, oh. I don't want to be bad on this. But I knew I was. And, and she challenged me. I'm like, all right, I'll, I'll succeed and I'll be nicer. And so I sat down. I'm like, all right, need to be effective communication, collaboration. So a couple of the books in there, like, The Verbal Judo from Thompson is a perfect example of how to go into situations, especially with us. We're security people. We're typically going into adversarial situations. How do we de-escalate it? How do we get more cooperation and collaboration? So the Verbal Judo one is a perfect example of one. You start taking a look at even some of the simple stuff from like White and Clock, uh, Blue Team Field Manual, Red Team Field Manual. There's even simple stuff like the Bash Reference, Python Rations, But The Book of Five Rings is another one of those books that you read to understand how humans work. You know, good to great, having built numerous businesses and worked in numerous businesses and dealt with humans. You walk into a managerial situation or anything along those lines, you need to understand that you need the right people in the right places doing the right things happily. And then guess what? Shit actually works. And you know, all these other ones, same thing with like, uh, to me, honestly, the other ones, and I think this goes into this tinkering thing and everything else, which is the late Sir Terry Pratchett. You know, we, a lot of us grew up on Douglas Adams. Um, a lot of us grew up on, you know, like the Terry Pratchett's late Sir Terry Pratchett's books and stuff like that. You know, Tom Holt, uh, Rankin, all of those types of books that kind of take humanity and take life, put it through the ringer, put some humor with it, and then position it in a way that makes us think a little bit. And so anything along those lines, I think that makes
0: you think, are actually fantastic books. How many books do you think you read a year on average? Yes. Yeah. Uh,
1: I've got half of the four or five on the go at the moment. Um 100, 150, wow. probably something like that. Yeah. Yeah. But at least, I, I love, I, and a lot of them are in electronic format. I, I used to be, and I still am to some degree. I have Pratchett been the perfect example, and actually um, Feniman's lectures. So, you know, I have those in English. I have those in American. I have them on digital format. I have some of them in audio form. Yeah, it's not good. I, I'm, I'm a packer when it comes to that stuff. I've awesome. got signed versions of the ones as well.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. I'm, I'm like a, uh... Probably like a 50 to 75 book a year person, but I don't listen to books uh, like on audio, Audible or anything like that, like I hear some people do. I'm going to start doing that because I hear a lot of people do that. I listen to podcasts and stuff instead, but that's incredible. Yeah, I
1: do the books. And actually, what got me started was years and years ago, I lived in Ohio and I used to drive to Chicago for work. Yeah. And I started off, I, I got Lord of the Rings and the entire Tolkien series on CD at the time. And I would just put those in. And that, you know, it's a three, four, what was it? Three, it was a five, six hour, whatever the hell it was. That, that drive, you just ignored it. it went for it. And I did it. I was driving down to to Arizona the other week, Checked a couple of books on that way. And just, it's a, what was it? 12, 13 hour drive mm-hmm. or something like that. And it's just nice. Music sometimes, just a fun book. As long as it's narrated by somebody who's actually eloquent, it, it's a good thing.
0: Yeah. And it's amazing when you start, uh, I went through a, a series a while back where I was reading a series on the American founding fathers for some reason. I just thought like Franklin and Ben and uh, some of those guys were just interesting. And uh, but I was starting the business, uh, Risk360, around that same time. Yeah. And it's just yeah. interesting how like these historical books and a couple tech books I was reading. And you mentioned how like all this stuff comes together in a confluence randomly. And like all these yeah. little tidbits were coming together as I was building the business. And I was like, they're all saying the same thing, but they're wildly different topics. So like, you just never <laughs> know where those insights will come from. So you just kind of constantly yeah. be consuming. But awesome, Chris. Thank you so much. This has been an excellent conversation. Thanks for all the research you do and, and sharing the good word around the Internet. So uh, thanks so much, Chris. And uh, thanks for Appreciate being here. It. Yeah, thanks oh, for having me. Much, much, much appreciated.